Lee, welcome back to Arts About. Show about art that's a work of art in itself, Sally. It is John, and uh, welcome to all our listeners. Hope you've been enjoying a lovely summer. Arts About is, of course, brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here with artist-in-residence and cultural sounding board John Baird, the poetic Mark Stewart, and me, Sally Bailey, after a couple of weeks AWOL. Um, so we've had a lovely time. Yeah, I think you've all been listening to the wonderful, crazy, chaotic uh, Arts About summertime slash no light slash summertime with will and swanee um if you if you have been tuning in to us over the last couple of weeks we're back for a show i think you might be hearing a little bit more of those guys as the weeks go on in summer but uh we're here for now we are indeed g'day mark hello john Mark's having trouble with his headphones. They're not working this morning not at all no but that's, oh, right. that's ears, very boring so. that's very boring um what are you on about today john uh, there was an exhibition of um, Medigliani paintings in a ducal palace in Genoa in Italy and uh, they shut it down because 20 of the 21 paintings uh, in the exhibition were declared to be fakes. 20 of the 21? Yeah, which is apparently about right for Medigliani. There's a lot of fakes out there. That's incredible. So which one was not fake? Uh, well, I don't know. One that they decided is uh, couldn't be declared a fake, but is perhaps only attributed to anyway. <laughs> okay. How do you tell a Medigliani fake, Mark? I have no idea, John. I, it's I, good. Yeah, it's very That's difficult. Very, that, clearly, you don't like Medigliani. <laughs> I do like Medigliani. I think he had lots of style and vigor and uh, and dash, and he had um, some um, some great sort of ways of using. Um, composition, but I don't think he was very good at putting paint on. Right. So the paintings themselves, technically, they weren't that great. No. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Would you agree with that? Um, no, uh, maybe. I'm not so sure. I, I admire much more his sculpture. I think his sculpture right. is um, uh. just which are also faked. Uh, no, well, I, really? There was one which was sold um, about three years ago at uh, the Sotheby's in Paris, and I saw the sculpture. It was one of the small stone heads, 48 million euros. Mm, 48 million. 170 Whoa. million for his, one of his paintings is a record that he's got to. You know what Picasso said about Medigliani? No. He said, I paint over Medigliani's. Medigliani's. They're cheaper than raw canvas. <gasps> Pablo was not the nicest that's, of people, no. was he? <laughs> that's and, a bit and, mean. And Amadeo was a lovely man from Livorno in, in um, Italy. Well, one of the problems, of course, was his loveliness because he he gave a lot of stuff away. He, he'd give paintings away for a night on the town, essentially. Yeah, and he was. Yeah. Uh, and when he died of tuberculosis at 36, his wife, or the Jean, I was saying Jean, um, who was eight months pregnant, threw herself down the stairs and killed both herself and their baby. Oh, that's an awful story. Mm, lots of those. I've um, got lots of those for you. Well, it's you tough being an artist, isn't <laughs> it? It is tough, very mm. much. Um, what amazing facts do you have for us? Well, I'm going to Mark? talk about Leonardo da Vinci and other famous bastards. Ah, <laughs> ah was he a bastard, was he? He was definitely a bastard, oh, a real okay. bastard. All right, well, that's very exciting. Mm. Um, so... Uh, on the show this week as well, um, which is the first show for us this year, we're going to talk with Simon Laurie, who is the curator at one of our ma- at our major sponsor, McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery, and we're going to hear a little bit about what's on now at the gallery, what's coming up, and uh, and perhaps a little about their first week under their new director, Lisa Byrne, who's just joined them. 
Things well, only get better. Yeah, huh? well, that's right. There's been a bit of uh, mayhem down there mm. of, of late, so let's hope she brings a little more stability and, uh, and maybe a slightly new kind of slant on mm. what they do down there. That's mm. not true cosmically, you know. Things can only get better. Cosmically, things can only get worse. Entropy, yes, that's yes, true, John. Yes, that's but, right. we, yeah, but, but let's not apply it to things the like this, shall we? Humankind, <laughs> um, also, we're going to be talking with Malcolm Gartide. Gartide, I should say. He's an artist who regularly exhibits at Bright Space, and he's now showing a selection of exhibition, a, a, a selection from his last exhibition there of paintings um, at the wonderful Hill Station store in Red Hill. Um, if if you don't know Hill Station, um, we featured it a few years ago. Um, it's a little store in Red Hill that stocks a beautiful range of uh, French and Italian fragrances, but they also have the wonderful Danish designer Ufa Frank's um, glorious dresses there, and, and we had him on the show a few years back. Um, so while I get Simon Laurie on the line, here's Mano Negra with uh, Out of Time Man, and um, we'll come back in a minute uh, and have a conversation with Simon. As I mentioned a little earlier, um, on the line with us today, I've got Simon Laurie, who's the curator at the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery, our biggest sponsor for Arts About. And he's on the line this morning to talk to us about the exhibition that's on there at the moment, Framing Nature, and some of the programs that the gallery runs over the summer period. And also to herald the new director who steps into operations today as we record this. Good morning, Simon Laurie. Welcome to Arts About. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Simon, um, Framing Nature's on there at the moment, uh, which is a compilation of work from your historical collection as well as some important loans and also includes a work by the founding inspiration, Harry McClelland himself, a picture of, Har of Karam Downs. Can you tell us a little bit about that exhibition? Certainly. So Framing Nature, as you said, brings together a number of works from McClelland's uh, historical, historical collection, which obviously has a quite a strong focus on landscape and nature. And, and interspersed with that, uh, I've got a number of contemporary works uh, by contemporary Australian artists who are responding to the landscape in, in quite different ways. Um, and I've intended the exhibition to give a bit of an overview about uh, the various ways in which landscape has been approached over the century and how it's changed from a, a more aesthetic and pictorial understanding to take on uh, ideas of uh, philosophy and uh, cultural conflict uh, and science as well. So really uh, contrasting these varying approaches to give a really broad overview of what the landscape has meant to different people at different times. Mm, it's absolutely, it has done that when you when you say it like that. Um, we sort of um, white uh, white um, imperialists arrived here and basically wanted to conquer it, didn't they? And and imagined it as a as an English landscape that probably needed taming. Exactly. Yes. And our sensibilities these days are almost the opposite of that. That's right. Yes. So we've got a number of works that that bring that European uh, aesthetic, the romanticisation of nature um, through John Constable and Nicholas Chevalier and pitted against that I've got works by Dany Mallow who's the, uh, it's got three stunning works that look at the landscape as a site of cultural conflict and, and uh, that particular uh, friction. Yeah, so... And all, actually, there's a piece in there that, that um, what was the video? Who was the, who was the woman in the video? Oh, uh, Gabriella Hurst. Gabriella, 
Gabriella Hurst exactly okay. that that extraordinary loop that you've got going with of her trying to set up her easel on a on a coastline and the wind just whipping the paper and she's completely at the mercy of the circumstances, isn't she? Yes, that that work in particular really sums up the taking those historical traditions and and inverting them. Uh, she visited sites in northern Germany where the great Romantic painter Caspar David Friedrich worked and she's really taken point air painting to a new level trying to paint within a storm. I mean it was almost, yes sorry. It was almost a um, a silent movie. Well, you know, um, who am I thinking of? The Buster Keaton. finally. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Thanks, Mark. No, definitely. There's a, there's a real uh, kind of humour to it as well. And she, she's also commenting on the nature of the artist's endeavour as well. It's always this struggle against uh, what can be represented and, and you're always working against material forces in a way. Um, as an artist, so it's a really, really uh, quite a rich work. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that really struck us, actually, when we were there that day, was the incredible uh, collection that is clearly a p- permanent uh, collection of McClellans, and quite a lot of the paintings that you had in, or some of the paintings that you had in there, were um, were part of your permanent collection. But there are some really significant works in there. Yes, yes. So we've got a, a stunning watercolour by John Constable, uh, which is just beautiful. And uh, so where did you? Sorry. Got, so where did you get the Constable from? And how long have you had uh, it? I believe that was donated uh, in the seventies. I I'm sorry, I can't tell the exact details at mm. the moment. Um, but that was a, an extremely generous gift. Yes, very beautiful watercolour mm. John Constable. And the Chevalier also is a magnificent painting. Yes, it's so delicate. Mm. Um, was that a donation as well? or? Uh, I believe so, yes. Lucky McClellan, eh? Uh, <laughs> I think the J.M. Callow collection of watercolours, I think they may both come from that, uh, that generous gift okay. uh, from mm. the 1970s, which included uh, around 80 uh, watercolours and some really significant works. Mm. Mm, well, it made me realise that you must actually have quite an extraordinary uh, collection somewhere. Is it in an underground vault or something? Or, or perhaps yes, we shouldn't yes, know where that is. Yeah, we've got a large storage area. It was a, actually a wonderful show for me. Um, it was the first major show that I've curated. I've been at McClelland uh, for around a year as mm-hmm. part of Belnay's curatorial internship. Uh, and it was a great opportunity for me to, to really get into the the vaults and, and see what wonderful works we have. Yeah. Um, I did notice on reading the catalogue that you are titled as the Belnaves Curator of Australian Sculpture. T- who are the Belnaves? Uh, so, so the Belnaves Foundation was set up by Neil and Hamish Belnaves. They're based in Sydney and they, they're extremely generous in supporting uh, arts and culture in Australia uh, with a particular focus uh, with my curatorial position in uh, developing and giving young curators an opportunity that's increasingly hard to come by, um, getting relevant experience to really uh, set them up. So that was established in uh, 2010, I believe, as I'm the third curator. Uh, to undergo that program. And they also uh, give a lot to Indigenous uh, endeavours and all across the arts 
and, and culture scene in Australia. Mm. So mm. Extremely uh, beneficial foundation. Uh, McClellan's had a bit of an overhaul lately. We know there have been some disruptions, but you're about to get a new director. In fact, I think as we record this, she's she's coming in today, Lisa Byrne. That's uh, right. Yes, after a term of... Uh, ah, fantastic. Well, that's... Uh, um, at least, you know, we have great expectations and we're really looking forward to meeting her. Um, uh, it, I, I guess it must be a very optimistic time. Yes, definitely. We've been working very hard uh, in the absence of a director with uh, Morty Palmer, AO, who has been wonderful in setting up a number of exciting uh, projects for the future and uh, building projects and uh, helping me with, with the exhibitions here as well. And Lisa is starting today, that's right. Um, and she comes uh, from a diverse background. Uh, she's had... Uh, she's been director and curator uh, across Australia in local, state and national organisations. Most recently, the Australia Centre for Photography, Canberra Contemporary Art Space and Maroondah City Council. Uh, and she's got a, a strong focus on engaging with local histories and communities. So I think she's going to be really wonderful for McClellan, uh, which stands as, as a really strong institution on the Mornington mm. Peninsula. Mm. So, Sorry, Simon, um, I just have a question, Simon. Yes. When, how long does the Framing Nature show go on? When does... uh, so that will close on the 18th of March. And then what's after that? So after that, uh, we have an exhibition called Another Dimension, and that'll be opening on the 1st of April. And you're the curator of, the, of that? Yeah. Mm, because right. I, I found Framing Nature was a very good, well-put-up show. There wasn't too oh, much oh, stuff. Thanks. And Thank it was well spread out. It's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do, I think. <clears throat> no, indeed, indeed. Um, well, thank you. I, I very much appreciate that. And mm, <laughs> um, it's a great space, the, 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 uh, that big open gallery there. And, um, uh, and the, another dimension is, is what? What is it? Uh, yes, so this will uh, look at sculptors who also work in two-dimensional uh, practice, so painting and drawing also. Um, and it'll take six contemporary artists. So we've got Rob Darwin, Sane Mestrum, uh, Marion Tubbs, Stephen Patton, Benjamin Armstrong and Michelle Usher and uh, showcasing a selection of their work um, to really show the diversity of their practice and to expand the notion of sculpture a bit um, and look at how uh, how sculpture can can be very much like painting and drawing and vice versa. Well, I, I, you're probably aware that most uh, sculptors do work in two dimensions. They're, you know, they're, most sculptures are conceived in, in two dimensions before they become three, so it's be very, I'll be very interested to see what the show's Indeed. about. Mm. Uh, of course, um, over the summer, you've got lots of different programs that have been running already. I know that you have some children's programs. I think this week we've had um, uh, something to do with Framing Nature, uh, a printmaking workshop, but you've That's also right, got yeah. a family Sculpture making exhibition on the uh, Sunday, January twenty first, haven't 21st you? And the twenty eighth, yes. That's right. Oh, and the twenty eighth. So there's yeah, two of so them. Both Sundays. So, so how, that's, what, what um, does that involve? Yeah, that's a, oh, sorry. What does that involve? Family sculpture. Oh, uh, yes. So it's uh, we've been doing that program for a while. So uh, families uh, can bring their children. Uh, it's free, and it's from twelve pm to two pm, and they bring found objects. Uh, which they will then uh, make into sculptures in, in a kind of uh, bricolage, um, ready-made uh, mm. fashion. Like and a, then, a urinal? 
if you like. Not quite. Gonna, not I can't imagine so some 12-year-old carting in a urinal underneath his <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. yeah. Well, you must, you, see, you must, yes, you must tell them all that that's where it all began, with a urinal. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I'm sure they'll be very amused. Yeah. They'll, they'll look at the poet training a bit differently. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's a wonderful, uh, fun workshop, and it's free. So it's good, and kids love love running around the uh, sculpture park as well. So. I, I also no- noticed that you've got a, a new film festival coming up, the Stella Short Film Festival. That's coming up in March. Do you know much about that? Yes. Uh, so our uh, project and education coordinator, Image and Good, is is handling most of that but we have um that should be really huge it's a very popular short film festival um on saturday the third and sunday the fourth of march mm-hmm. um uh, which is based in our uh sculpture park in the natural amphitheater uh setting so it should be really wonderful at that time of year fabulous um, well and, oh yeah. sorry i beg your pardon and also you've got a Facebook page. That's what I was just about to butt in with, just to remind our listeners that you have a website and a Facebook page that can keep you up to date with the comings and goings and the programs that come up and, and on there. It's been really fabulous talking to today, Simon Laurie. Um, great to hear news from McClelland. And we look, to, um, we look forward to hearing quite a lot more over the new year when we get the new, um, when we get to meet the new director soon. Thanks so much for talking to us today on Arts About. Indeed. Thanks, Sally, John and Mark. Really wonderful. And keep up the good work. Thank you. you See you soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye then. Having spent the last few years and two shows at Bright Space painting houses in and around East St Kilda and Caulfield areas, Malcolm Gartside's now switched his gaze to the countryside. After having an exhibition of his paintings at Brightspace in November last year, a small selection of them are available in a show at Red Hill Station, uh, at Hill Station in Red Hill. And uh, because we missed talking to him when the exhibition was on at Brightspace, we've got him on the line today to let you know about the showing at Hill Station uh, that runs until the 4th of Feb. At first glance, you, like, perhaps like I was, you might be mistaken in thinking you were looking at photographs, um, which, uh, I did because I saw the pictures online, but Malcolm's paintings are portraits of copses and windbreak hedgelines, interesting um, intersective landscape and portrait. The exhibition's called Divergent Landscapes and points out the irregularity of the iconic um, cypress pines implanted into the Australian landscape. Welcome to Arts About, Malcolm Gartside. Uh, Thank you very much. Malcolm, is that the divergence of which you paint? Is it sort of the, um, the... oddness of seeing these uh, cypress trees in our kind of garrulous landscape? Uh, y- y- yes, uh, partly. Um, there's also the, the fact that um, they're not what you'd call traditionally picturesque landscapes either. They're, they're not necessarily either concerned with uh, uh, depicting exactly what's there. It's, it's, they're more about the mood or the feeling that I get. I mean, I just... I see things and I just have to uh, grab that image. I'm very much an image-based painter, not a sort of a, a process painter or somebody who um, likes to be immersed in the landscape or the weather when they're painting. I, I, I don't know whether Kylie mentioned it, but um, I, I, I uh, paint in the, in the uh, relative uh, comfort of my studio in the mm-hmm. backyard uh, a million miles from where the actual landscapes are. 
Yes, uh, she did mention that actually, and um, and I, I mean, it's it, they're very interesting to me because, particularly in contrast to to the very urban images that you painted too. Um, they they seem to me to be not entirely about the subject that's being painted. Uh, yes, I think <clears throat> that's that is true of a lot of painting. Um, I'm sure that's right. Uh, images um, often tell you more about the painter than the actual uh, image itself. It's uh, um, I think uh, it's really to do with my relationship with the subject matter mm-hmm. than the actual. Um, subject matter or any uh, particular discourse on the subject matter really it's it's i mean not that i'm uninformed about sort of theories it's just that i don't i don't illustrate them i just i just go out and find the things yeah um uh, i would go as far as in a way as to say that to me looking at them they're almost they are almost portraits they you they're they're sort of those those hedges and so on they're they they're kind of sentient. There's something about them. You're, you're looking at them as if they're a thing or, you know, like a... I, I can't help but think they're like portraits. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm flattered. I think I think possibly there is um, there's quite an amount of care and attention to uh, getting them looking like they're going... They're, they're, it's not... It's, I just want them to be convincing. I want these these images to leave the viewer in no doubt that they, if they don't actually exist perfectly as, as I've painted them, they are, um, they are plausible. They are, they're, not, um, they're not something I've made up. Mm. And, and I guess that you get also, that's, that's when portraiture um, kind of works. When you look at it, look at the portrait, whether it's strictly um, uh, realistic or photorealistic or whether it's, um, symbolic of the person, you are convinced. Mm-hmm. There's there's a certain um, veracity in the paintings that sort of doesn't let the viewer off the hook either. You just have to you have to believe it. I hope. Yeah. Well, there certainly is realism about them, isn't there? But but as you get closer to them, um, there is a there is an illusion, isn't there? There is. A, oh yes. Uh, mm. So um, uh, they're made up of. Um, hundreds and thousands of tiny little layered abstract marks. Uh, so the, um, when, I, when I was studying uh, Masters, I was, I was, I've always been interested in um, representation and, and the different methods, and I had a, a, a relatively conventional uh, representational language where um, a lot of the paint that was being put on was imitative of the... Um, thing I was painting, so grass would be little um, short strokes of vertical paint, and that would be imitative of grass, and and leaves would be daubs hanging down, and and I just got away from that at some stage, and it seemed to add another dimension where you can look at the painting and you believe it's real, but there's some some level of excitement mm. in your eyes or in your brain where. You can't quite believe it's real because you you um, you know that it's just marks of paint, and they're not trying to they're not trying to trick you through a conventional method. They just seem to glue together. Particularly, I think Malcolm, where uh, the 
treetops meet the sky and the uh, the sky is painted down through the treetops uh, I think probably after the trees have been applied and there's a there's definitely a kind of a um, an, an abstract feel to what's going on there if you look at just that part of the painting um, uh, yeah, for me sorry, the paintings the for me the paintings I was looking at them in and I've, done, I've spent a lot of time driving around out through uh, Golden Plains and down through rocky, stony grounds or whatever it's called out there. And uh, for me, they looked, they appeared to be something that you would glimpse out the side of a car, out a car window. And in other words, they're kind of paintings that were um, pinched at about 100 kilometres an hour. And that's the way they look to me anyway. Obviously, you've had a much closer look than that. But they are sort of reminiscent of glimpses out of the side of a car as it's travelling through that area. Very perceptive, yes, because that's exactly how it happens. I, um, right. as I said, I'm not actually interested in immersing myself in the landscape. So I do, I mean, I have right across from South Gippsland to the peninsula through um, out towards Colac Way, um, I have friends and relatives or we holiday in those areas. So I'm always there and I'm driving around a lot. So I get up early in the morning when everyone else is having a sleep in, throw the camera in the car, and I just drive around. So, and I just catch it out the corner of my eye because it's I've got my eyes on the road, and then something will click. So I'll, I'll stop, and then I'll want I'll drive back, and I maybe I'll walk up and down and do lots of um, lots of uh, photographs, and and I generally just um, I tend to smash them together on the computer using using a program and. And then I re-engineer them in the studio. But yeah, they're, they're certainly they're definitely um, things out of the side of the car, not not scenes that you drive up to and park right. and look out the, the bonnet mm. over the bonnet. And has um, there been a fair bit of editing that goes on? Do you get rid of fences and stuff? Some of the um, some of them appear to be yeah. places that um, would have uh, a fence in front of them. Yes. So, uh, Sometimes I've been known to <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I like the I like the repetitive nature of some of them in particular, where they they're almost like uh, split down the centre and painted in one direction and in a very similar way in the other direction, which seems that it wouldn't actually be like that. Oh no! Uh, if you're standing in one spot, they're, they're not like that. So I, I often I walk and then take a yeah. um, half a dozen photographs and walk and take another half a dozen and and then I um. And then I, because that, that, that sort of, they present like they're flat, which you don't get from single point perspectives. You, mm. So, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I'm picking so up you're using my the, magic now. You're using the, <laughs> using the camera to lie about itself. Uh, well, yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just a drawing tool. Some people right. uh, use charcoal and pencil. To me, it's, it's just a drawing tool. It's a part of the process to, to yeah. um, and it, it is, I get that. I get what comes off the, the the camera into the computer and then into the studio, and then I start work again. Just there's. I try and take out the anecdotal. So yeah, a, a fence or an open gate. Yep. Unless it, that's the point of the painting, yeah. it's not going to arrive. It's not going to be there. Um, I think I saw on the flyer that there are landscapes between Gippsland and Western Victoria, there, and certainly yes. include images amongst the Monitor on the Monitor Peninsula. Um, are you Victorian? Oh yes, um, yes. I've, I've spent um, all of my um, life in Victoria, except I had about um, six years in uh, the Riverina uh, at a town called Leeton, and we used to um, we used to travel up and down 
know, that landscape uh, really opened my eyes to the love of that, the horizon and the flats. You will have noticed that in quite a few of them that I like a nice flat level landscape and things appearing, episodes in amongst um, sort of a, a big sky and a flat horizon. Mm. Yeah, well, and, and of course, the, car, the whole scene, the, the, um, the landscape through a car window, that I, I got taught that across the Geraldry Plains. You know, right. there's, you just see things slip by at, at yes. whatever speed Dad happened to be driving at. It's true, actually. I think that we're, all, we, we're a generation of kids that, that sat in the back of the car while our parents took us for drives, aren't they? And, oh, yes, uh, and there was, no, um, there was no inboard entertainment back then. No, it was looking we out the window. We didn't have air conditioning either. We was no, windows down no, no, you're forgetting the, hanging out. No, there's, there's the shell book, remember? You don't remember the shell book? We didn't have get, the shell book. Yeah, where you put, have to tick out the, what you saw and you had to write down oh. things. It was a shell book. Uh, you probably, oh, gosh. So, so we, we had to look I am now, window. of course, Malcolm, going to be uh, driving out through those areas and instead of looking out of the front of the car as I should, should be, I'll be looking out the side for a Malcolm painting. You know, and yeah. <laughs> I can, all I can do is recommend that you do it on the back roads, not on the highway. <laughs> you can end up in trouble. Good thinking. <laughs> Divergent Landscapes is on at Hill Station in Red Hill until February the 4th and you'll get to, you can go along and see a small selection of that incredible exhibition that was on at Brightspace um, late last year. And uh, um, But, you know, Google Brightspace or look up um, uh, Malcolm on, um, on on Google and uh, to get a closer look at those pictures. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Malcolm Gartridge. Um, it's been a great pleasure. Oh, an absolute pleasure for me too. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. We're going to go on right now and um, have a... Uh, it's your section now, Mark, is what okay. I was about yes, to say. <laughs> so before I speak about um, famous bastards... Oh, famous bastards, that's yes, right. Yes, I want to speak about the um, Me Too Hates Men... Um, oh, the yes. Hundreds, you... The hundreds of yes. um, French women who wrote a manifesto against the Me Too campaign. Oh, did they? Yes, yeah. they did. One of them whom was Catherine Deneuve. Of course, she's the face of it because she's a famous actress. But there are other philosophers and um, intellectuals, all women... And they say, basically, that um, talking about the sex drive is by nature offensive, untamed, um, but we are sufficiently clear-sighted not to confuse a clumsy pickup attempt with sexual aggression. So they're saying that uh, women, if they're adults and smart enough, they should be able to understand the difference between a um, an aggressive um, pickup and a... Well, one a, would hope so. One would hope so, yes. So I knew I'd get a good response from you, Sally. Um, it's worth reading this. What is it? So in other words, you said, you said men aren't necessarily being abusive. They're just stupid. It's just stupid, exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's just a little, it's clumsy and on so, many part, in many yeah, cases. And the, the French feminists have long, I mean, when, when this started, I spoke about the French women, you know, they, they, they'll just tell a man to, to you know, bugger off if he's, if, if he's mm. annoying. They're not going, obviously, you know, if you've got a powerful man and you want to get a job as an actress, then you, it's, you're putting yourself in a sticky situation. That's another thing. They, they have long argued that many Anglo-Saxon militants for women's rights are driven by hatred of men. I don't know whether that's true or not. I don't, I don't really know. 
But do you know the, um, have you heard of Stan Lee, the, no. um, the creator of X-Men and um, The Incredible Hulk? And oh, okay. The cartoons? Yes. okay, He's 95 years old. He's been um, accused of molesting uh, the nurses who are looking after him. Yeah. By um, He's asked the nurses for oral sex in the shower walked around naked and wanted them to touch his genitals. Mm-hmm. I thought, for a 95-year-old, that's not bad, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Stan Lee. Oh, so, the ever-provocative Mark <laughs> no. Stewart. It's good to have you back, Mark. <laughs> well, there's, there's more, but I won't go on to that, so I want to talk, talk about Leonardo. So mm-hmm. um, he was born on April the 15th, 1452, to a notary and a 16-year-old girl. Really? In Vinci, yes. The girl was um, uh, an orphan, and had been left to fend for herself, and, and Piero, uh, Leonardo's father, had come to Vinci on a stormy August night and was snowed in, and um, his mother, Caterina, was quite beautiful and 16. And suddenly, Obvious what was going to happen. Was there a Me Too bloody campaign? No. When Leo was born, the whole family came to his baptism because bastards were considered normal at the time. They were just people whose parents weren't married. Exactly. And he was, um, their mother was married off to a farmer and Leonardo grew up in loving households of his mother, father and paternal grandfather. Mm. So it was a lovely um, little situation for Leonardo. Apparently he was a um, very handsome, well-built, lovely person who played the liar. Uh, who was, uh, we always think of him as an old guy, don't we? You do exactly. Mm. No, he was. A, he had golden locks and was. You know, they they speak of his of, of just being a very um, beautiful very, young very man. beautiful young man, uh, also gay. But um, we're talking about famous bastards. Yeah. Uh, How do you say bastard in Italian? Il right? Say it again. Il, well, bastardo is a, is is someone. It's a you know, our use of the word bastard yeah. is, is as a as a an insult. But they illegitimate. So right. illegitimate. Just illegitimate. Means a child without a married parents. Yeah, which mm. were many. Like I mean, Pope yeah. Pius IV had um, like ten illegitimate children. You know, he yeah. was a pope, so. Catholicism well, was he wasn't a allowed to get thing. married, I suppose. No, but they're not allowed to get married pri- priests and um, in the Catholic Church, not for any reason except inheritance laws. It's only about inheritance. Is it's it? Very, yeah, absolutely. It's got nothing to do with being... Being married to God being, or anything? Yeah, or being, 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 uh, being celibate. Yeah. Oh, it's got nothing to do with that yeah. at all. It's all about... They didn't want to have Property. Kids, bloody kids around. Yeah, exactly. That's how they amassed such an incredible fortune. Oh, absolutely. Those Catholics. Yes, yeah, so we won't go on too much. Um... So, the thing about... Who else is a bastard, Mark? Well, exactly, John. Petrarch, <laughs> Petrarch who was mm. um, one of the first people to climb Mont Ventoux in Avignon. People thought there was a dragon living up the top, and Petrarch yeah. went up there in 13... Crazy bastard. It was. Uh, Boccaccio, who wrote the Decameron, oh, yeah. oh. which was written during the plague. He, they all sort of scampered off to a country town and lived there. And um, mm-hmm. was the Decameron, have you read it? It's a very... Um, so he was a clever bastard. He was. He was a very clever and it's all very erotic, the Decameron. Mm-hmm. It's worth reading. Mm-hmm. Lorenzo Gilberti, who built the doors of the famous yeah. Brunelleschi... Uh, very Duomo, talented bastard. Also very talented. <laughs> Filippo Lippi and his son Filippino. And Leo, Leon Battista Alberti, who was uh, right. one of the great Renaissance men. Um, and Alberti wrote that there are seven um, fundamental things a city like Florence must have, which is one was complete liberty, a large, rich and elegantly dressed population, mm-hmm. a river with clean, pure water, which is no longer the case, 
etc., um, etc. Et That's a rather boring that mm. thing I wrote down. Um, the, the the population of Florence was forty thousand at the time, because before the Black Plague had been a hundred thousand, so mm. they lost quite a few people during the Black Plague. And then you can't talk about Florence without talking about the Medici's, who. Um, Surely there weren't bastards amongst them. All over the place. The Medici's were amazing. For one thing, they designed, they invented the debit and credit form of accounting. Oh, Mm. did they? As simple as that. And they they looked after the money of all the largest people, the the wealthy people in Europe. Double column accounting. Yeah, double column accounting. And they became the richest of the lot by Mm. looking after their money. Um, and spent quite a lot. One of, the, and they helped, they financed the dome, uh, the uh, dome of Brunelleschi, which yeah. we've spoken about before. Yeah. Apparently, it's still the largest um, dome in the world, self-supporting. There are four million bricks in that mm. dome, and they still don't know how he did it because he well, without it. a form, he built it without form. Work. Without form. Yeah. Okay, so Leonardo was gay. Homosexuality was not uncommon in Florence. Um, Probably wasn't seen as such a crime in those well, days. Well, it was a crime. There was, was it? Yeah, it was. Uh, sodomy was a definite crime, but um, uh, only if you were being pacific. If you were doing the sodomy, you were, it wasn't so bad. But if you, you if you were, were receiving, receiving it, 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 was it, bad. it was bad. Yeah. Oh, really? And the Germans That's a called, little bit of a double standard, it isn't is. it? The, the Germans called Florence, uh, the gay people, the, the Forenzi. They were, that was their oh, word right. for gay people. Right. So there are 7,200 pages of Leo's note, Leonardo's notebooks extant, which is about a quarter of what he wrote. So, um, so interestingly, Mark, you and I come from a generation which uh, probably produced a lot more illegitimos than previous generations because of that feeling amongst our generation that it wasn't necessary to get married. That's true. Yep. Mm. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know, John, how many bastards are there running around? There's, There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think no, we I... need to wrap that up because we're running out of time, unfortunately. We really? still haven't done John on. We still oh. haven't done the ads. Right. I don't know what's going to happen. Okay, well, anyway, I'm, going to try and try. I'm sorry. No, quite all right. T- I'm happy to go. Normally, it's me sort of pushing my <laughs> way into your time, man. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you notice how politely I just let you go there? Anyway, no, John, here's some messages you. from our sponsors. <laughs> Thank you, Swanee. And thank you for your summertime light, Swan. I've been enjoying that. Yeah, it has been fabulous, hasn't mm. it? Yes. I'm going to get myself one of those uh, explosives on a stick. I'm not sure what, <laughs> I'm not sure what for. <laughs> well, make sure you wear your headphones when you set them off because apparently you're going to be left deaf. Well, I love the idea that you can only, you've only got one hand left to stick a finger in your ear. and. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Medigliani, Sally. Mm, I can't believe this story. Well, uh, there are a lot of um, Medigliani, and what I was talking about was 20 out of 21 Medigliani's in a, um, an exhibition in Italy, in Genoa, being fake, uh, in a ducal palace in Italy. One of the problems that has arisen out of this is that uh, it was an exhibition where people paid to go and see it. Yeah. About 20 euros, which is not cheap. 50 bucks in house big. Yeah. And oh, maybe uh, that was an uh, entry to the Ducal Palace and a look at the Medigliani's. And now that people have found that 20 out of 21 of them were fakes, they want their money back. <laughs> 19 euros. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> of course. The implications yeah. are extraordinary. Though. Well, um, not only do they want their money back, but the people who owned the paintings and um, 
uh, owned them in good faith, presumably, and lent them to the Ducal Palace in good faith, now find that their paintings are fakes and will be destroyed. Oh, you're kidding me. So a painting that you may have had, then you were thinking to yourself, well, gee, there's the Medigliania that's worth 50 million bucks is now going to be burned. <gasps> and uh, I think they're interested in compensation as well. But from whom? That's right. Now, um, so if how are they authenticated, do you know? Uh, well, this is one of the problems is that Medigliani, because of he uh, spent a lot of time giving stuff away didn't you know it was a lot of stuff that was never sold it was given away and he would in fact take a painting down to a local restaurant and give it to anyone who wanted to fund his night out and uh, as a result people don't really know what happened to those paintings and a lot of paintings have reappeared with people saying well this was in our family my great-grandfather and my grandfather gave it to Medigliani and paid he I mean bought it off Medigliani by paying his bar bill uh, and they, they're often fakes, but people who are saying whether they are or aren't fakes are thin on the ground. There aren't that many Medigliani mm. experts. There's two very well-known ones, and they both have a different uh, set of Medigliani raisonné, which is the list of authenticated paintings, and they're both completely different. Uh, and there's the the fact that Medigliani's getting prices up near people like Clinton Picasso and Francis Bacon, and a lot of people would suggest that a Medigliani is a lot easier to fake than a Picasso or a, you know, a Klimt. Would you agree instance. with that? I think you can get near to it pretty easily. Right. Um, but it's the... If it, that sort of little touch of grace that he had and uh, that... Uh, really sort of makes the day and I think that people can't just sort of come up with that. I think a fake, if you know anything about Medigliani, I reckon they'd sort of be obvious. Do you, but also, I, I thought but it was... But people who own them, you know, people who have bought fakes, uh, they've bought them in good faith yeah. and they've been tricked by someone and um, so... That apparently hasn't been that hard to do. There are more fakes around than there are real ones. Goodness me, that's extraordinary. I thought it would be really difficult these days to actually create a fake, given the sort of the, the kinds of analysis that are that are. Around. Not all of these paintings go under that sort of analysis. You uh -huh. know, uh, there's a huge body of paintings that are described as attributed to Midigliani, which means that they don't know whether they're fake or not. Some people are saying they're good, some people are saying they're not, so they just declare them as attributed to. Mm. In fact, which leads me to another interesting little thing that I witnessed recently where there was an, an auction house somewhere in Australia mm. um, which had a painting uh, on display waiting to be auctioned and it was described as attributed to a certain artist that artist still alive and living not far away from the auction house. And I would have thought you could just give him a ring and, and say, say, did you paint Did you that? paint this? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, it's so the whole Medigliani thing, I think, is very damaging. It's extremely damaging to the whole art world. Mm, of course it is. Um, people completely lose faith. It'll be difficult for anyone to, um, you know, to sell a Medigliani 
with a straight face, yeah. frankly. Well, lots of different <laughs> artists, I would say. But what, you know, what if they've got it wrong? What if something, you know, out of those 20 paintings right. that they've claimed to be fake, uh, some, you know, one or two of them well, aren't fake? And they, are they really going to burn them? The types of um, ways of checking paintings uh, that you described earlier have been applied to those paintings and they're made with the wrong kind of paint. Right, so they're definitely they're, fakes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, that's reassuring. Yeah. Hey, um, we've run out of time. Oh, dear. I know, isn't that incredible? Yeah. I barely, haven't even really even got time for the news except, you know, to reiterate and remind people Divergent Landscapes on at Hill Station. Yeah, I really liked that, actually. Yes. I, I he was it. a lovely fellow. I like talking I to him. Mm-hmm. The Midsummer Festival's running and until the February the fourth, and uh, Framing Nature's on at the McClellan Sculpture Park until March. I liked that too. Yeah, that was really beautiful. That mm. actually really was. It was quite stunning to see what that um, gallery has as a collection of mm. paintings as well. Definitely worth to go going on down there, and we're going to be hopefully hearing a little bit more from them over the year with their new director coming in. If you've just tuned in, you've missed Arts About. So um, have a look at our Facebook page and um, uh, you find some, hopefully I'm going to get back up to speed and find some links and things up there for, for you to follow what we've been talking about or maybe take a little research a little bit further. You can find a link to our Facebook page on the RWP website. Arts About's going to be on the same time next week, 11 o'clock Sunday, or hear the repeat on Wednesdays at 12, or listen to the podcasts, which I hope have been loaded up onto the station website. And remember, everybody, we may not know everything about art. We know we like. I like Medigliani. I like the Melbourne yeah, one. Yeah, I'm so shocked to hear that. I used to take my kids to see the, the Melbourne Medigliani was a a visiting spot for my kids and I coming back from Victoria Market every Saturday. Go and see the Medigliani. Go and see the Medigliani. Mm, I liked saying it.